Hello and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. I am Reverend Mari Caballero and I welcome all of you, especially if it's your first time to be here. At this time, we'd like to invite you all to greet the holy within our midst. We're, we're from a long tradition that understands that there lives a spark of the divine in each one of us. So please do turn to your right and left and say hey to God. Please join me in lighting our chalice. The words are printed in your order of service. The chalice is the symbol of Unitarian Universalism worldwide. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. These are the words of Teresa Novak. Come into this place. There are healing waters here and hands with soothing alm to ease your troubled days. Bring your wounds and your aching hearts, your scars too numb to feel. Your questions and complaints are all welcome here. Rest a while. Let the warmth of this community surround you, hold you, and heal you. When you feel stronger, just a bit, notice those who need you too. They are here. They are everywhere. Weep with them, smile with them, work with them, laugh along the way, pass the cup, drink the holy fire. Take it with you into the world. We are saved and we save each other again, again, and yet again. Each week when we come together, we are reminded of one of the many aspects that in all of our diversity of beliefs and backgrounds and, and convictions, one of the many things that gathers us together, and we rally around it, and that's our mission statement. We wrote it up on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Today our reading is Who Knows You by Kathleen McTeague. Some of the old New England graveyards are serene little pockets of neglect. Their slate tombstones lean at odd angles and the elegant calligraphy is barely legible, spelling out obscure colonial names like Ozias and Zebulon. Some of the inscriptions that can still be deciphered tell poignant stories of sons and husbands fallen in long-ago wars and young wives lost in childbirth. Clusters of brick-sized stones mark the deaths of children in some catastrophic winter. The engraved cries of lament, farewell, beloved daughter, evoke a tug of grief even now though the people named have been dust and earth for 200 years or more. One of these graveyards in my town evokes a sadness of a different sort. Held in the inscription on a modern tombstone marking the resting place of Franklin F. Bailey, 
He was born in 1901 and buried in 1988, so he lived a long time. His epitaph says simply, here lies a man that nobody knew really well. What a strange message to leave echoing down through the years. And what a freight of sadness is held in that short phrase. It tells of isolation, loneliness, a life lived invisibly, a voice unheard. Here lies a man that nobody really knew. We circle around each other like small planets on which each of us is the only citizen in this life of individualism. Spiritual practice are, uh, practices are meant to turn us directly into that inner landscape so that we can know it well without illusion. But their larger purpose is to show us pathways to one another because with practice we come to know a bedrock of truth of this human life. However different each inner landscape is from the others, the same winds blow through us all. They are the winds of longing and fear, doubt and hope and regret. No one is exempt. That simple recognition opens a deep well of compassion, both for our own struggles and for those taking place behind all the faces that surround us. I wonder about Franklin Bailey every time I take a walk through that little graveyard. I also wonder about the Franklin Baileys who walk among us, who today is living a life of unremitting loneliness in my town, in my neighborhood, perhaps even in my own family. Before it comes time for a sad epitaph summing up their isolation, perhaps we can extend a bridge of compassion, allowing them to feel seen, heard, and touched, to be known a little in the brief common walk of our lives. And now I'd like to invite you into the spirit of prayer and meditation with me, if you would. Dear God, you who we call spirit of love and of life, bringer of joy, comforter in sorrow, be with us this sunny, cheerful Sunday. So many of our loved ones and friends are running through the streets on their way to personal achievement and glory, and, and we're here trying to make sense of an untimely loss. Be with us and help us to find ways to comfort this family whom we love, Help us to be a community for a little boy who can no longer see his mommy. We pray these and all of the silent, unspoken joys and concerns that reside in our heart in this moment of sacred silence. In the name of all that is good and holy and right, we say amen. 
And now during the musical meditation, I invite you as you feel so moved to light a candle of joy or concern, whatever it is that you've walked in with, whatever it is that's weighing on your soul, whatever it is you need comforting for, from, whatever it is you would like us to help you celebrate. Please think about that as you light that candle and let the flame carry that joy, that concern, that thought, that celebration up, up to the very air that we share, that we inhale together in this room so that you don't have to celebrate or mourn alone when you leave. May it be so. Several months ago, the shockingly disturbing video of NFL player Ray Rice knocking his fiancée, Janae Palmer, unconscious with a punch to the face and dragging her out of the elevator was widely circulated online in national news. In addition to the expected criticism of Rice were attacks on the intelligence and personal integrity of the woman who shortly after uh, being publicly assaulted, became Rice's wife. The world wanted to know, why in the world would this woman stay with this terrible, violent man? Though this question came from a genuine concern for her safety, the harshness of the criticism was hardly empathetic. In a show of empathetic solidarity, Survivors of domestic violence began posting their stories to social media under the hashtag why I stayed. These included such responses as because he isolated me from my friends and my family and I had no one to turn to when the abuse started. And it's not one day he hits you, it's every day he works hard to make you smaller. And because he called me and told me he had a gun to his head. Although these women, all survivors of domestic violence themselves, did not have to make a huge leap of the imagination to empathize with Janae Palmer, their bravery in sharing their stories publicly, many for the first time, helped to take some of the nation's displaced anger off of Palmer and place it back where it belonged, on Rice, the abuser. Those who hadn't personally experienced domestic violence were given a different perspective, and the reality of easier said than done gave way to a deeper understanding of the complexities of the situation for the abused. Empathy is defined by Carla McLaren, author of The Art of Empathy, as a social and emotional skill that helps us feel and understand the emotions, circumstances, intentions and thoughts and needs of others such that we can offer sensitive, perceptive, and appropriate communication and support. What may be different about this definition of empathy is that it doesn't simply end with feeling and understanding the emotions of others, but it's active. It requires for us to do something to offer sensitive, perceptive, and appropriate communication and support as a response to the feeling. It's a two-part thing. So to do empathy, 
we must employ the platinum rule, which I've spoken about here before. Instead of do unto others as they would have, as you would have them do unto you, it's do unto others as they would have you do unto them, which is so different and harder to figure out what your next move should be. Empathy is not about the self, but it's extremely beneficial to the practitioner. Empathy requires that we lay down our defenses, our advice, and our ideas about what we believe a logical response would be, and we need to attempt to find the world from another's eyes, to view the world, rather. In order to fully appreciate another's perspective, sometimes a remedial lesson in history is required. For example, now this is the sermon which you'll hear me use more references to sports than any other time, probably, so bear with me. So the Washington Redskins insist upon, upon keeping an extremely racist and antiquated name despite the outcries of thousands of Native Americans and their allies. This centuries-old slur was originally used not just to describe the skin tone, but a red skin was the term to describe the scalp of a slain Indian. Slain Indian. It, was, it was paraded proudly by white invaders as a war trophy. That's what a red skin is. That's how it was used. Understanding this helps to see those rallying to change the team's name less as oversensitive crybabies and more as fellow humans deserving of dignity. For me, I had a similar reaction when I hear fans gush over the Texas Rangers baseball team. Many don't realize that the, the Texas Rangers were originally employed to deal with the Indian and Mexican problem. The Rangers were a government-sanctioned lynch mob that regularly hunted random non-white Texans and hung them in order to rid the land of us. When I hear people cheering their name, I can't help but shudder. It's as if a sports team was named the KKK or Gestapo. It's difficult, though, to voice such emotions when we have all experienced less-than-empathetical responses to concerns that others do not share, that folks don't know the history about. I would hazard a guess that all of us have been on the foot and mouth, foot in mouth, rather, end of such interpersonal exchanges as well. We say things not understanding how or why they're offensive. Like most virtues, empathy does not fall into the either you have it or you don't category. Empathetic behaviors can be learned, practiced, and honed until empathy as a feeling comes second nature more often than it did before, and empathy as an action no longer feels as inauthentic or methodical. We live in an incredibly individualistic, self-centered society. We're given messages that solving our own problems and not burdening others with the constant Debbie Downer, is the definition of strength. We spend gobs of money trying to understand ourselves with introspective work such as psychotherapy, meditation retreats, and self-help books. 
And while such individualistic pursuits are valuable, and knowing oneself well does help us to understand how we relate to others too, oftentimes we do not give outrospection the same attention as introspection. We're not really taught how to or even the value of learning to understand the beliefs, experiences, and views of others who are different from, from the beliefs, experiences, and, and views of ourselves and how these differing worldviews influence the actions and emotions of others. We don't get it. We don't get the, the motivations all the time of those closest to us, let alone those nations away, those living across the world, and especially of our own country's enemies. In truth, research shows us that although we're led to believe that humans are an, an inherently aggressive species, that waging war is actually a natural tendency, we really are neurologically wired toward empathy, in fact, to the point in which those relatively few who cannot exhibit empathy or cannot learn to understand the emotions and motivations of others are pathologized as dangerous or mentally ill. We have been taught that biologically we're all engaged in a fight to survive, that only the fittest will win, and that these self-preservation instincts are what has awarded us the top spot on the food chain. However, the knowledge that we are among the animal species who have, um, uh, who have survived and thrived through cooperation and empathy is gaining ground among contemporary scientists. Dutch primatologist Franz de Waal tells us that empathy is the one weapon in the human repertoire that can rid us of the curse of xenophobia. If we could manage to see people on other continents excuse me, as part of us, drawing them into our circle of reciprocity and empathy, we would build upon, rather than going against, our natures. One recent breakthrough is the discovery of mirror neurons in our brains. These neurons become more active both when we experience pain and when we witness others experience pain. The same places in the brain are firing. I always wondered why I can't watch those silly video shows. You know the ones, most often than not, those home videos. It's someone is always diving face first into a cactus or falling off a trampoline and, you know, meeting the ground with your neck. I mean, it's awful. So that explains it. My mirror neurons, which is hard to say, are firing as if it's happening to me. Christian Kaiser, head of the Social Brain Lab at the Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience, sums it up like this. Let me be bold and say that this tells us a new story about human nature. As Westerners in particular, we're brought up to center our thinking on individuals, individual rights, individual achievements. But if you call the state of your brain your identity, and I would, he says, 
What our research shows is that much of it is actually what happens in the minds of other people. My personality is the result of my social environment. The fate of others, colors, my own feelings, and thus my decisions. I is actually we. Neuroscience has actually put the we back into the brain. That is not a guarantee, he says, and my wife will agree that some of my actions are not egotistic and selfish, but it shows that egotism and selfishness are not the only forces that direct our brains. We're social animals to agree to a degree that most didn't suspect only a decade ago. The implications of this finding are vast. While we may have thought of ourselves or others as simply a people person or the opposite, we now know that these mirror neurons can be strengthened through practice. You heard my last sermon, you might be thinking with me, okay, so I'm not great at demonstrating empathy yet, or the opposite, I have not yet learned how to rein in my tendency to be over-empathetic and take on all of the world's pain. I will learn healthy boundaries yet. As I mentioned earlier, through practice of empathetic action, we can develop new neuropathways and actually begin to sincerely feel and behave like skilled empaths. We've all had failed attempts at demonstrating that we care. So what's the right formula for showing empathy in a way that it will be well-received? Both the sad and the exciting truth is there's no one way to do empathy well. Empathetic conversation should be approached as a spiritual practice, emphasize practice. It's not something we'll win awards for if we get it right more often than not. But our humanity will grow and our soul fed each time we try. Especially when we fall flat, actually, because we'll be learning new approaches. Empathetic exchanges will never be formulaic. This is a form of improv that requires both parties to be observant and to make guesses at the emotions of the other in order to respond appropriately. A technique called mirroring was popular for a while. You may have heard of this. Though this always felt a little condescending to me when I was the recipient. This mirroring is an attempt to make sure that there's clear communication between two parties but it doesn't really require that the listener attempt to step into the shoes of the other and understand their beliefs, feelings, and motivations. Besides, it just feels like I'm talking to a parrot or in an echoing cave when someone starts with, so what you're saying is blah, 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 and repeats what I've just said. I feel like I've been heard but not necessarily listened to. It's important, especially for talkative folks who have some of the world's best advice for any occasion, such as moi, to remember that empathetic listening is not about us. It's about the one who needs our care at the moment. This is easier to remember with those outside of our inner circles. 
our partners, closest friends, children, and other family members are usually the ones who get the short end of our empathetic sticks. I love doing pastoral care. And when I'm with my mom, it goes out the window because I'm not her minister. So, <laughs> so we want so badly to one-up a sob story with our own. And so we'll, we'll say things like, you think that's bad, wait till you hear what happened to me. Or we give in to the urge to prove that we're in the right. Well, don't yell at me for your lousy day. I'm not your bullying boss. All I did was ask how your day went. Back off. In the art of empathy, McLaren advocates for the need for the occasional conscious complaining. Meg has told me that she's employed this technique with Kaya. She'll have had a frustrating encounter with someone while out and about and say, Kaya, I don't need your advice or another perspective. I just need to let it, for you to let me kvetch and then say, those rats. I asked her if I could share this, and she said to be sure to mention that it's never about church people. <laughs> Kaya will nod and do as requested. McLaren says that the role of the listener here is to support the complaining with helpful and upbeat yas and uh-huhs. The safe haven that's created in this way for complaining immediately removes the toxicity from it. The point of empathy is to be aware of what the one in need of it needs. How do you know this? Well, you read their mind. No. <laughs> one way is to ask. It helps to take a crack at naming the emotion you're sensing and then ask what the person needs in words, of course, that come naturally to you. For example, it seems like you're angry at the way your boss is speaking to you in front of your colleagues. Is that the case? Yes, he doesn't treat anyone else this way, and I'm sick of it. What do you think you need? I think I need to talk to him about it. I'll go and see him on Monday. Good. I think that's a good idea. It's time he know how you feel about all this. Let me know how I can support you. I imagine a conversation like that can be anxiety-provoking pr to plan for. Yeah, I'm really nervous. Empathetic conversations are adventurous and require courage and willingness to be wrong sometimes, many times. Hazarding a guess at the emotions of another involves risk. Sometimes people vehemently deny their emotions because they're not ready or willing to be that vulnerable or simply because you're way off base. Cultural and linguistic differences can lead to confusion about emotional display as well. I remember asking a Cantonese speaker if she had been having an argument while on the phone with her relative. I wanted to check in with her that she was all right. She had been speaking so loudly, she was almost yelling and talking in short, staccato-like phrases as if she were highly annoyed. She was perplexed by my question. 
It turns out, as I learned from living in San Francisco for over a year, that Cantonese sounds very angry to those unfamiliar with its common cadence and the cultural norms surrounding pitch and volume. So I was way off base. But she appreciated me asking, although I was embarrassed. <laughs> so to include outrospection in our quest for true understanding of our fellow human creatures is a spiritual pursuit. And as we're ever-changing, and as we continue to come into acquaintance with new, complex individuals, the adventure of practicing empathy will remain ever-relevant. Blessings on your journey. May it be feel, filled with risk and with reward. Please join me in the words by which we extinguish our chalice found in your orders of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Go in peace to know others and to allow others to know you. May it be so. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.